0: Hello and welcome to the Arrow Video Podcast with Sam and Dan. My name's Dan Martin, special effects artist and podcaster, and I'm joined as ever by my lovely co-host... Sam Ashurst, and I'm a writer, I'm a director,
1: and I'm a humble genius who's here to talk about the magnificent Crash, one of David Cronenberg's best films, and it's actually uh, my choice for this fortnight. And as a result, I have quite a lot to say about it, but i have almost nothing to say about next fortnight's film which is sting of death so it's going to even out overall i think i know dan (laughs) will have quite a lot to say about that one and just before we get started um i do want to uh, provide a trigger warning um because we talk about topics around the film involving sexual violence and so Please stop listening now if, if that is going to disturb you. Uh, we certainly don't want to disturb you. So, um, Dan, why don't you tell all the precious arrowheads about the plot of Crash?
0: Uh, so, <laughs> the plot as it is of uh, a Crash is uh, about a couple of wealthy but sexually numb individuals who, through a series of uh, events... Stumble upon a post conceptual sexualization fuck cult who fetishize cars and, more importantly, the crashing of cars, whether it's historical study of how famous car crashes took place or recreating uh, and getting involved in new car crashes themselves. Um, essentially, it's a study of. Uh, and this is personal uh, supposition rather than from the voice of the director himself. I mean, let, let's, Num- let's make something clear uh, in yep. this podcast.
1: Everything is opinion. Nothing is fact.
0: <laughs> well, we, we do occasionally quote people.
1: Yeah, true, true. But even there normally voicing their own opinions um but yeah
0: what what's your uh own take on this <laughs> i mean i will go so far as to quote both ballard and cronenberg oh. in this podcast at some point so i feel that they have a definitive say <laughs> to some degree um oh well yeah uh,
1: it, it, it's interesting because with with art you create what you create you have your own intentions and I think especially with Cronenberg and Ballard, um, you know, as it kind of bore out in the reaction to both the film and the book, you can oh, yeah. have your intentions. Um, but no art is really rooted in fact, unless you get down to the brass tacks of it took us this many hours to shoot this scene and we did this in this order. But in terms of the actual content of the film, which is what I think you're talking about, um, yeah there, there can be no definitive answers only opinion and i'll be
0: expressing my opinions as well um opinion and opinion versus intent i guess is, yeah, the, is it's the closest exactly. you can come to, to official statement absolutely but yeah i mean, it's a it's a really interesting one obviously it's a film you're very keen on i would say i uh, i recognize it as the very very good film that it is and I like it compared to a lot of films. I wouldn't say I like it to a lot of, compared to a lot of Cronenberg films.
1: Right. Okay. That's interesting. But
0: but but that is always with the coda that I am distinguishing like between between like and appreciate. And I think it's a fucking it's a great film. There's no no argument about it being a brilliant film. And and what's kind of interesting
1: there is then we get into the realm of opinion because um, Ballard actually think it's Cronenberg's best film I, w- I would I, w- I wouldn't go that far but <laughs> it, it's still amazing um, yeah so you were going to talk about um,
0: what you think it's actually about well like it's it's essentially a mumblecore porn film I mean it's not a porn film at all it's essentially a, a mumblecore film about sex it's there's a lot to do with numbness there's a lot to do with looking for satisfaction looking for stimulation um the idea that in an increasingly mechanized world we need to find ways of stopping ourselves becoming mechanical Mm -hmm. the sex lives of the two main characters have have has become mechanical in a way that is robbing them of enjoyment they are starting to sleep with other people and like you know consensually like they both know about these Uh, these dalliances Uh, and they're they're talking about it. There's a question early on when Spader says to Unger, did you come when she's talking about like someone she just fucked Uh, and she's like, no, what about your camera girl? Like the guy, his sexual partner that we saw in an earlier scene. Uh, The idea is that there's this solid dispassion that's running through their sex lives and the, like the sort of artificial force the manufactured machismo of these vehicles is almost brought in as a replacement for sexual energy for sexual force and it definitely is more effective for him than her i think i think ultimately she like you know looking back on the film she probably would have been happier just getting involved in a a thruple with a, a pair of bisexual male exhibitionists
1: oh that's interesting um yeah i i, I mean uh to just discuss the kind of pornography element of it. Cronenberg doesn't think it's pornography. Um, no, and
0: I was very, very quick to correct myself with right, the use of okay. that term. It's not, it's not porn because porn is purely to titillate and this is very much not meant to do that. It's meant to show sex as this other thing. Yeah, it, exactly. It, it's kind of like it, it, he says that kind of
1: part of the point was to... Kind of shift your feeling for what are, what's erotic uh, and what's not, and and that's kind of how he felt uh, what he felt the book did. So yeah, I, I, it's interesting that you say that because I kind of I see them as kind of two sides of the same coin, really. Um, the Deborah Unger and, and James Spader's characters. I don't necessarily think that. Uh, she was would have been more satisfied than him with a more simple setup i actually think that they kind of I go on a- they go on the journey together really
0: well, yeah but i like i not to quite such a solid extent but like her character's arc felt a little bit like one of those late 90s channel 5 documentaries about swingers where the guy's really into it and the woman's like well you know it makes him happy
1: Mm, Yeah, that's interesting. I didn't see it that way. I mean, for me, this is an extremely kind of Freudian film about how sex can be tied to trauma and how fetishes can kind of escalate into dangerous deviancy, um, with the cars being vehicles for all sorts of uh, metaphors and allegories. And actually, I think that one of the kind of biggest allegories, what I think this film and the book is really about is movie violence i mean there's, there's all sorts of kind of signifiers um like names are really interesting in the film obviously um in the book uh ballard named the lead character after himself and we see jg ballard on the medical tag um in, in the film and ballard said that he wished that Cronenberg had changed that name to Cronenberg's own name for the film um, which is obviously a very interesting yeah, angle. Said he, he,
0: it said he missed out on uh, immortality. Immortality, <laughs> yeah. It, yeah.
1: But I think more than that, I think there's a kind of subtextual reason for it as well. Um, obviously, there's a, a porn magazine in the crash car called A Fistful of Bimbos, <laughs> yeah. um, which is obviously a clear play on A Fistful of Dollars, um, which makes me wonder if the film's also a commentary on the pleasure we get from violent movies. Um like is the erotic charge they get from car crashes a, a great deal different to the giddy thrill we get out of a, a well-executed violent scene in the cinema? You know, what what do you think about that side of it?
0: I mean, I don't. I just don't get bonus from horror. It's a different level of involve, of enjoyment. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that... I mean the 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 connection between trauma and or fear and like erotic charge is is well established i think there was a a research done in canada actually in the 80s where they had an attractive woman but like not too attractive (laughs) give out her phone number to guys under like some setup like they you know some uh contrived situation but they had it where all of the guys had crossed a bridge that had a really high, like, drop, like a natural fear response space. Uh, but in for half of the group, the guys had just crossed it, and for half of the group, the guys had crossed it and then travelled far enough that the adrenal response would have died down. And then they measured how likely the guys were to, like, follow her up in a way that was, like, pursuant. And if I remember correctly... Once you adjusted for the average across both groups that may or may not have been in relationships, and therefore dis, you know discounting not calling for those reasons, um, it was more likely that guys would call her directly after they'd been over the bridge, and this was part of a study into the idea that like being scared and then relieved increased the potential for like sexual arousal, uh, and the idea that oh, fuck, I might have just died. Like, oh, your lizard brain's going, oh, I might have just died. Time is running out to procreate. Like, I've got to fuck now because times are tough.
1: Oh, that's really interesting. Yeah, a uh, great, great um, very relevant uh, study. But in terms of the book, Ballard kind of... He basically... There was a lot of controversy about the fact that he called it a cautionary tale in the intro and this (laughs) came up in in interviews and stuff and in one of those interviews he basically said that he was trying to say ambiguously um so you think violence is sexy well this is where it leads and i I should make it clear that he isn't coming at this from a position of moral outrage um he explains that he isn't making a moral statement just kind of expressing caution. And that's really, really important, I think. And Ballard also talks about how there's kind of no distance from the characters in the film, kind of between the characters in the film and the audience watching the film. Um, So that kind of says to me that it's at least partially a film about film audiences. And James is a voyeur, uh, but he's kind of a disassociated one. So he watches in a mirror, when he could just literally turn around and and look directly at what's going on in the back seat, Um, but he wants to watch an image, not an event, um, which I think is really interesting.
0: I wonder if if that is in part a comment about learnt behaviours uh, and that even though he's transgressing, he's still behaving in the front seat of a car as one is expected to behave in the front seat of a car at that stage in the film or the book. Yeah. like he's he's looking at the people behind the back seat in the mirrors because when you're sitting in the front you don't turn around that's dangerous you look in the mirrors yeah or- he's still shrugging off the the constrictions of like the the social norms of how you interact with the vehicle
1: yeah i mean uh, that's that's an interesting take i think by that point in the film he has transgressed quite a lot of norms so it could just be he's not certainly learnt, behavior um but i think that for him the voyeurism is kind of part of the thrill and it's that extra layer of of voyeurism you know he's sneaking a look rather than really obviously turning around and looking directly he's not part of what's going on he's just kind of uh, uh, watching it um Yeah. And uh, obviously the film's about sexual violence. It's um, about a sexuality based on extreme violence. And I know that you hate sexual violence in films. So, you know, we're obviously not going to go into that. We kind of talked about this in The Woman. And if people want to listen to us discuss that, they can go back and listen to it. But... Violence in film, you know, isn't just sexual violence, and I really think that what this film is saying—it's really blurring the line between those two things. And obviously, you are the best person to talk to about this because um, you murder people for a living, <laughs> so to speak. <laughs> um, it's part of your job to create true—and then
0: there's a side hustle. I'm a special effects <laughs> artist, well, so that's relevant too.
1: Yeah, it's it's part of your job to create truly spectacular murder scenes, and you're very good at it. Um, How do you feel about that kind of that line between um, kind of sexual violence and and other kinds of violence in films? Because obviously we know that that anyone that listens to this podcast knows that you hate all sexual violence scenes. And I think if I'd have watched as many kind of disturbing 70s movies as you, I'd probably hate (laughs) them too.
0: Um, Well, I I think the thing is, so for a start, I would say that my objection to non-narrative beneficial sexual violence in film and that comes with the caveat that i think it is not particularly very it's very hard to make it narratively important but i, I don't necessarily think that those objections really apply to crash i think crash is doing uh, a lot of work to desexualize the sex in this and so the sexual response the erotic the erotic response that the characters have to this violence is not the same kind of response to violence that say the antagonists in i spit on your grave have Mm. like it's a very very different world of uh like fetishization of of violence and pain not least because with a couple of exceptions towards the end of the film for the most part these people are endangering themselves mm. and so it's it's masochistic as much as it's sadistic if not more so uh, and again like i think it's about control over the self and the environment of the self more than it is about dominating another about the power over another individual Mm. um and again there are sequences especially towards the end where coitus and and to a slightly lesser extent later on spader become dominating become uh control oriented Mm -hmm. in their fetishization of violence but but i think for the most part it's it, it does a really good job of of separating that particular perversion from the the sexuality that's portrayed within the film the bit where coitus realizes when he's photographing the car crash and he realizes that his stuntman friend has died in a uh, in a reproduction of a famous car crash that they had planned and and he and his his friend has died but his response is you did it without me Hmm. He he doesn't mourn his friend. He mourns missing this like er, for him erotically charged event, even though it killed his friend. And so I think it's not it's it's not about it's not about power over others. It's about having final control over yourself. And again, I think that ties back into what I was positing earlier about the idea of the mechanization of the world, the mechanization of sex, and trying to take back control over those things. As our lives become more, you know, roboticised, more mechanical, um, these incredibly powerful machines that can take a life with, you know, simply a 90 degree turn of a wheel, to take back control of them is the erotic charge for these characters. Yeah, that's
1: uh, very well said.
0: Yeah, I I think that, you know, um,
1: I have a kind of a very slightly different... um, take to you i mean i completely agree that rape scenes for the purposes of uh, titillation or exploitation uh you know disgusting and and, uh, abhorrent and um yeah uh there's not much more to say about that um i I don't think that they're all unnecessary or um, no i don't
0: i don't i don't i don't think so either i think it's hard to make them not so
1: yeah, I, I completely agree with that. Um, but, but I do think that they can be used in, in positive ways. So they can lead to kind of um, catharsis uh, for the audience. They can also be used to make a political point. Um, and, and actually for the artists themselves, um, they can be used as a positive way of processing trauma through art. Um, in extreme examples yeah
0: absolutely um, Besmoir is a perfect example of that
1: yeah which is absolutely yeah
0: yeah ostensibly a recreation of a violent event yeah so um yeah yeah it's just go on sorry I, i think the i think the the places where it becomes difficult and this is like when you step back and look at like how films are structured rather than just letting yourself go along for the ride which you know i think you and i both know enough about how films work know enough about how story works that it can often be like something can jar us out and then we're just watching it like a mechanical process Mm. but but a really good film will sweep you along and you forget to look at how it's made you forget to like acknowledge the direction of the dialogue and all that kind of stuff because it's so good one of the things that one will notice if one is looking out for it is that the 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 cheap version, uh, and I'm not talking about like sexual assault for titillation because obviously you know that's a that's a different thing and that's just trash. But the lazy version is when you have like let's say a male protagonist and then he has a female person in his life say uh, you know a wife or a daughter gets sexually assaulted and it's used as a drive for him it's used as a catalyst for him and it's sort of cheapening the experience because really all the film is is showing you is how the man in her life responds to that exactly Uh, it's like and i think that's how it's yeah, exactly. And I think that that's that's become very tired. That's 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 always been unnecessary, but it's become people have become sick of it. Yeah. Um which is good. I'm I mean I'm glad that people are pushing back against that. Mm. But but this film very much isn't doing that. This film is and while it does have a like a predominantly male cast and are the focus of our films, the main protagonist, the main antagonist are both male, the female characters experience is not there to drive the male experience in the film the female experience is there as an echo uh, as a mirror and as a counterpoint Mm. to the male experience Mm. Uh, and i and i think to be honest that's probably just a testament to both ballard and cronenberg's work like they're both very fucking good absolutely and yeah just
1: to kind of round off that point because i what you just said is very interesting how do you feel when your own work is highlighted when people watch movies so When people watch Possessor and and talk about the kind of violent set pieces or when people are shocked by stuff in Human Centipede 2, how do you feel, uh, do you wish that your work was just part of a more kind of smooth whole?
0: I mean, for a start, I think they're very different films. Like, they serve very different purposes. Um, oh, absolutely. I'm not sorry. I'm not comparing them. Uh, no, uh, no, no, yeah. no, 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 not at all. But 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 my, but my answer has to acknowledge that because the mm. answer is different based on the films. So uh, I, I, you know, I, I hope I'm not being too offensive to the movie when I say that I think that, and I, you know, hopefully the positives in this sentence will outweigh the negatives. Mm. I, fi- I do feel that *Human Centipede 2* is kind of an accidental masterpiece. <laughs> Uh, I don't necessarily know that everything that Tom was hoping to do is the reason that I think it's so successful, but that film is a... a a solid incline into obscenity Mm. and works like a sort of barometer of comfort slash discomfort for the audience. No one going to watch Human Centipede 2, I mean, you know, even Human Centipede 1 has the warning of the obscene title, but by the time number two came around, the first one had been referenced on fucking Flirty Rock and South Park, and, you know, it was in the public lexicon. No one watched Human Centipede 2 by accident. So you've got a very set audience for that film. They know what to expect, and you know as well as I do that, horror audiences, especially in a group, especially in a cinema, will respond to the grotesque with laughter, Mm. with sort of comforting camaraderie bristling across the, the audience. But I've never been in a screening of that film where there wasn't a point where no one was laughing anymore. It 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 works like a smooth scale. And I think that by that point, they've kind of forgotten that they're watching special effects. I think that by that point, they're just horrified at what they're, what they're party to. And I think that it's only with hindsight that you think about them as effects. And, you know, because the effects artist is a mouthy twat and goes on podcasts and constantly talks about his own work. <laughs> and I think that uh, Possessor is a little bit like that as well. I hope that the vast majority of people watching that film aren't taken out of those sequences by thinking this is a special effect and are entirely within the moment and are entirely experiencing what brandon wants to put across to the audience um with those events Mm. like a lot of those special effects the versions that we shot like what we filmed were longer were more like more lingering more leering Mm. like if you put the If you just did an assembly of those sequences, that scene with Sean Bean would have been 10 minutes longer because, like, you see one, two, maybe, uh, of the stabs to the face Mm. that we did. But I'm operating that. It's my hands at the other end of the poker. And I think we did like 50. Because it was given its own sequence. Like, we just, we set up elsewhere. We did it as a pickup. It was always, you know, it was a, it was a separate sequence. Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, we got a couple of neat ones and then we went a bit wilder and then they were like, just go to fucking town. And I, I tore it up. Mm. <laughs> so, like, if you, if you put that all there, then it would be insane. Like, you, it would be numbing. And by the end of that sequence, yeah, you'd absolutely have enough time to reflect upon it and think, this is a special effect. But it's because of, you know, Brandon's eye. And it's because of his editor's skill that he knows how much to put in there. He knows how to stitch that together with the rest of the world, with the stuff that's real actors, with the stuff that's more real life, mm-hmm. um, to create this this whole canvas that where you're not looking at it as. I mean, it's it's like what I was saying about the the sexual assault stuff. You know, I think a lot of people that just breezes them by because they're not watching it in the way that to some extent unfortunately you and i now automatically see things absolutely i mean it's like uh, possessor has a rape scene
1: right yes i mean sort of i mean there's no sort of about it it's it's um two people have sex one of them isn't aware that the other person isn't that person and therefore cannot possibly give consent so, yeah
0: no I mean it's 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 a it's a it's a it, in a sci-fi structure it's not that dissimilar from the the rape in the new wonder woman film Yeah it's yeah it's uh it's playing with the i with the the logic of it the 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 moral theory of it um which I I personally think is very different from a uh, because it's because it's critical because it's something that you only notice if you examine it mm-hmm. it's not presented as a as, as violence oh absolutely it's, absolutely so it's a very i, I do think it's, i do think it's different it's undeniably but but also the other thing is you've got to remember that neither party involved in that sexual act are aware of what's going on so it's 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 literally holding a mirror up to that
1: yeah. Yeah, it, it, but yeah, it's a, it's kind of levels of analysis and levels of interpretation I guess. Um and and that ties very well um to to this film specifically. Yeah, I feel like we have kind of careened off the road. <laughs> we've, we've gone very far away from crash. Um we've, we've gone back to our old chestnuts. <laughs> yeah, I mean, well, it, it's uh, it it is relevant and um it's a conversation I'm sure we'll have again in the future. Um, but yeah, I, I think that for me, this might not necessarily be Cronenberg's kind of best film, but I think for me it's top five. I certainly think it's the definitive ballad adaptation. Um, I love that it opens in the plane hangar because obviously planes and pilots were two of Ballard's obsessions and he's very proud of his obsessions and those two come up time and time again in his books uh, as do doctors actually but um, it's also the film for me that comes closest to the very specific tone his books have um, which frequently have this kind of air of PTSD um, that kind of trance-like feel. Yeah. Um, I obviously love Ballard. I know that you do too. Um, what is it that you like about him as an author?
0: I think it's the the ability he has to present something that doesn't feel... How best to... F- <laughs> um, it's, it's not that it doesn't feel judged, <clears throat> and it doesn't feel judged. It's that it, it feels like it's presented to you and that your reaction to it won't be judged. There's such a matter-of-factness to the way that he presents his stuff. Without it ever... I mean, and it definitely feels cold a lot, like he's a very cold writer, but it doesn't feel dry. It doesn't feel uh, unapproachable, insurmountable. Yeah, that's interesting. I I wouldn't necessarily... For me personally,
1: I... Cold might not be the word I'd use. Distanced, yes... But yeah. there, there is warmth in, in those books um, and there's kind of, I see a, kind of a weird hope for humanity in amongst all of the dark, disturbing, prescient stuff. Like the, <laughs> the drowned world, I don't know, even though it's in kind of the worst possible circumstances... I feel that you know that book especially has a sense that uh, of, of mankind evolving beyond what they've destroyed.
0: Um, I don't know. Uh, that was just off the back of you saying cold. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I'm you know maybe maybe I'm using the the wrong words to describe the same things that you feel. I I, I don't think it's a condemnation of humanity. Mm-hmm. I I think it's a microscope to some of the minutiae that go on within humanity yeah that's great
1: that's great because yes he analyzes culture and um psychology especially and it's that combination of culture and psychology that i find kind of most interesting um and where a lot of the prescient stuff that he said not just in his books but in interviews as well um come from i think i think if you understand the mind to the level that ballard understands the mind you will be able to kind of predict where culture's going um he very specifically predicted and you know sorry to say this name on the podcast but trump he did very specifically predict that kind of path um which is kind of scary and 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 fascinating but back to the film back to the film (laughs) <laughs> um, I, I love the performances in this. I think Deborah Unger is incredible. Um, and Elias Kotyaz is fantastic as Vaughan. Like from the minute he appears, he feels like he stepped out of a ballad book. And the idea of someone just walking through a hospital with a fetish for scars is obviously brilliant. That scene where he he examines James's scars is just so... <laughs> um yeah so disturbing and great yeah what what do you think about the performances
0: i mean yeah they're they're absolutely fantastic i mean uh cronenberg talks about the fact that they they got this amazing cast and it wasn't like they could pull them in with money they had to want to do it Mm. they had to be committed to it because they they ask a lot of their cast like uh, you know in general their cast cross borders cross you know Uh, thresholds that uh, possibly an average actor might not be willing to do um and all in the pursuit of something that turned out to be pretty fucking great and yeah you know that with Cronenberg you're in you're in pretty safe hands Mm. but uh I think that there's a there's a benefit that goes with that which is that they are they're going to be super committed they're going to be really fucking hundred percent there every day yeah, and that reads that reads on screen. Definitely, they're, sh- they're all so good. And Cronenberg talks about it being quite a jolly
1: um, set and yeah. you know, a fun film to make, um, which you know is very interesting. Um, Vaughn's character actually um, reminds me of a time in art school. Um, now, this was in 1997, Dan, so a year after Crash came out. Um, yeah. And it's important to bear in mind uh, to the Precious Arrowheads, I did go to an avant-garde art school. Um, that will become clear. <laughs> um, but I was having my lunch with an actress friend in the canteen, um, like eating my chips and beans. And this sculptor student uh, came up to us. And um, my friend had hurt her leg and she had crutches leaning against the table. And this guy comes over and he asks what happened. And so she asks why he wants to know. And he replied, um, disability really turns me on. And, yeah, she basically laughed him away. Uh, but that sentence has stayed with me for 20 years. Um, Had you seen the film by this I, point? I, I, no, I haven't. I <laughs> hadn't. So, I, I, I mean, I can only assume it was a reference to the film or the book, but I certainly didn't know that. And my actress friend didn't know that. So, um, Yeah. A very, wow. very weird, very weird lunch.
0: I I actually, so the film came out in 96, I think in the States, and maybe played in London at the London Film Festival yeah. in 96. But it uh, it was struggling with the release um, for a little while in the UK um, well, because of tabloid attention. Yeah, it was Alexander Walker, wasn't it, uh, in the Daily at the Mail. the Daily Mail, mm. yeah. So I, I actually, I went to see it, I must have been 17 I think uh, I went to see it. I've, I've mentioned the Harbour Lights many, many times. It was the it was sort of the art house cinema that was nearest me when I was growing up. It was in Southampton and I went to see a screening of it uh, at, yeah, at the Harbour Lights. And I took with me my then girlfriend who I had got into a relationship with while I was convalescing from a road accident. Wow. <laughs> So we had known each other socially before the the crash uh and then when I was uh laid up and unable to walk about she was she she had come and visited me and our relationship had blossomed during that time and without wanting to share too much information with our listeners we had uh first become physically acquainted while I was unable to walk because of serious trauma to my leg dear god <laughs> and, and then, and then relatively early in our relationship, we went to go and see Crash together. And, uh, and a lot of people walked out during, uh, well, a couple of the sex scenes, but most importantly, the showroom sex scene with, mm. the, uh, with the, the leg wound. Yeah. And, and I just remember like, looking over to her with a sort of judgy look on my face.
1: Oh, that's very <laughs> funny. How long did that relationship last after that, Dan?
0: uh like three years oh my god amazing Three years after that yeah
1: (laughs) brilliant um i think we should probably talk about the extras because this is oh they're amazing glorious package i've seen some reviews say it's better than the criterion release which i actually haven't seen but that's obviously high praise high praise Um, indeed the extras are insane you actually delayed the recording of this episode by an hour so you could watch all of them what were some not all of them but more of them more yeah. of, what were some of your highlights
0: oh man it was amazing um it was really really lovely to see the 71 short on there again yeah um i haven't seen that for a while we saw and that at the barbican incredible yes uh no at the um at the british library oh yeah that's right yeah at the british library yeah no i um i there was a a, a day a two-day festival of ballard called inner space jg ballard in the 70s a symposium um that i was incredibly lucky to be invited to speak as part of because of my work on high rise and as part of that they showed this uh, 1971 i think it was made for the bbc um short film uh of crash with ballard in it which is just beautiful like the ballard narrates it and it's got almost i don't know if you know the the short film, and I say short in inverted commas because it's not short, uh filmed by Peter Greenaway, The Falls, but it has a very Greenaway feel mm-hmm. to the to the the tone of it. Uh and I, I absolutely love it. So that was really nice uh, having a copy of that because there's a like a shitty copy on YouTube, but that was that. Um the short films of Cronenberg that are on there, including At the Suicide of the Last Jew in the World and The Last Cinema in the World. Um it's only a couple of minutes long but it's absolutely brilliant. Um, and then the, you know, Arrow have really gone above and beyond with with talking to to crew members as well. Whether it's Jeremy Thomas uh, or Howard Shaw, the composer, um, yeah, there's great stuff. Really yeah. good aud- audio commentary too.
1: Oh, the audio commentary is, is, yeah, maybe my second highlight. My main highlight is obviously Cronenberg and Ballard at the NFT, um, mm. just magnificent. Yeah, and yeah, like Dan says, it's it's ninety minutes of new interviews. So yeah, yeah, Arrow really have gone above and beyond like if this is one of your favorite movies and i can only assume it is if you're listening to this episode this release is just essential just a ridiculous treat so should we uh, go into recommendations based on the film yeah, let's do that. All right. Gonna um, go
0: first, or no? I uh, you, you go. You go ahead. Okay. So my first one. Uh, it was actually a first watch for me. It's been on my list for absolutely ages, uh, and it's one I've sort of shied away from because of the content. But it felt like it might be an appropriate connection to Crash. And oh boy, was it both of those things. <laughs> it's 1974's Night Porter oh. by Liliana Cavani. Yes holy fuck this is a difficult film uh it's amazing uh like with crash it's examination of a self-destructive relationship although in this case it's much more clear that it's based on the female protagonist mental illness that has stemmed from her ptsd mm-hmm. which was wrought about by her tormentor and abuser It's about uh, an American woman who, uh, while visiting Vienna with her conductor husband, sees a man in the lobby of uh, a hotel, he's working as a concierge there, who it turns out was her abuser in a concentration camp during the Second World War. And they sort of fall into this uh, sort of captive relationship, which he is obviously convinced she wants to be part of and the film doesn't go out of its way to make a judgment call on that but uh you know i i, I think it's it's pretty fucking obvious it's a horrifically abusive relationship and then it, it sort of p- plays around with the idea of a, a sort of thriller sort of marathon man-esque thriller subplot in the background as well but it's um yeah my god without Talking too much about some of the content. Uh, there's a scene quite early on where she remembers them as her and her other uh, camp uh, captives. Being put on a ride at an abandoned theme park and being essentially treated like human clay pigeons with these shots being fired at them while they're whirling around on this machine that's meant to be nothing but fun. And that kind of underlines the whole film the idea that, you know, sex is meant to be this frivolous, fun thing. Uh, and yet here it is being used as a, a tool of horror yeah it's a very difficult watch uh there's a beautiful criterion uh release i think it's also available in the uk it's on prime you can you can rent it on amazon yeah it was yeah, actually it,
1: um it's a I difficult recommend, recommend i um recommended it a couple of episodes ago because the blu-ray um there's a new blu-ray basically in the uk um so yeah go back and have a listen to that and oh um, yeah
0: there you go yeah yeah
1: Yeah. And I recently found out that it's one of Lars von Trier's favourite films. So that kind of makes makes a lot of sense. My first recommendation, I'm going to recommend a book uh, called Extreme Metaphors, which is a collection of J.G. Ballard interviews. Um, Of course, you should also read his novels we already talked about the drowned world but uh concrete island is great super can yeah um high rise uh which for me is is better than the film um so if you don't like the film don't let that put you off the book yeah and uh kingdom come which is scarily prescient and obviously crash which uh has some big differences to the movie so yeah, worth reading anyway Um, But I've chosen to highlight Extreme Metaphors because it's a bit more of a deep cut and it's a book of interviews with Ballard throughout his whole career Um, and it is all incredible. The stuff on Crash is truly remarkable both in terms of the book and the film because as you know from the disc ballard really supported Cronenberg's vision so yeah extreme metaphors if you're interested in any of the themes we've talked about in this episode or any of the themes of the movie or just want to read words from an incredible visionary uh, I, I very much recommend it
0: nice my next recommendation is uh, a film i've mentioned on the podcast before i don't know if it was i don't remember if it was in relation to a specific film or just something that i'd re-watched um and i do remember the last time i rewatched it because i invited mike over <laughs> and i remember it being like what what did you make me watch there that wasn't fun but uh, it's marina devan's feature debut from 2002 called doma pur or under the skin You may remember me talking about this, Sam. Mm -hmm. Um, It's about a a woman who attends a party, and uh, Marina Devan plays the lead in it as well. Uh, She attends a sort of socialite party and is embarrassed at having hurt herself. She goes outside for a cigarette, she falls, she very badly cuts the back of her leg, and she sort of hides the wound and takes it home. And she doesn't seek uh, seek any help for it. And as the film progresses, she becomes increasingly obsessed with the, the wound itself and the concept of damage to her body. And this turns into, although never overtly sexual, a, a sort of body obsession with the idea of self-harm and self-destruction. And I think that it makes a fantastic companion piece to Crash in that it's about someone becoming obsessed with something that is unarguably bad for them unarguably self-destructive yeah i i I think i've still got like a canadian dvd of it i don't know if it's even available in the uk um but it's very worth getting hold of if you are able to get hold of it
1: next up from me uh another cronenberg adaptation of an apparently unfilmable novel involving a lot of driving uh cosmopolis (laughs) uh starring robert pattinson who is as fantastic as ever. He's one of my favourite actors. I think he's incredible. Um, uh, Cosmopolis has a similar trance-like feel to Crash, and I think I will leave it there um, as I'm conscious of our episode time limit. So uh, Cosmopolis, I recommend it. It's uh, very good. Uh, Right, that's it for Crash. Uh, Nice, easy start to 2021. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah, yeah. things will be a bit lighter next fortnight. Hopefully, Uh, we'll be doing Sting of Death. So um, that's Dan's choice. Uh, So make sure. (laughs) I love how
0: much you're already distancing yourself from
1: it. Well, look, (laughs) you know, you remember how I felt about the baby Um, anyway.
0: (laughs) I literally had someone message me in the last week saying like how much they love the podcast and how many amazing films they'd heard about on it and all that kind of stuff and i replied saying uh what was what's the best film like what's the film you've loved the most that you'd never heard of that we recommended like what was the best film that you found because of the podcast and they were like oh it's the baby <laughs> well there you go um i'm glad Ooh, is that, I was that so, was so happy. was that one of your friends No, no, I mean, you know, I consider them a friend now. We've bonded over the baby. Beautiful.
1: (laughs) Well, keep them as far away from me as possible. Uh, Only joking. (laughs) Uh, Recommendations based on the past couple of weeks. First up from me, The Don is Dead, which is out today, if you're listening to uh, the episode as it goes up, uh, on Eureka Classics. Now, The Don is Dead is not perfect. It's kind of shot like an episode of Columbo, and it has two possibly three of the most inadvertently funny deaths in cinema history i can't go into detail on them because of spoilers but <laughs> sorry uh i'm laughing at the memory but you'll know them when you see them um one's kind of like the naked gun the others like trauma um so i can see why this isn't going out on the masters of cinema label but i still had fun with it, it it's solidly entertaining for most of the two hours there's some fun twists and turns There's a Sid Haig cameo, um, and Robert Forster is fantastic in it. He has a beautiful head of hair (laughs) in this film. It is very distracting. Um, You know, he must have been very sad to lose it because it looks so good in this fucking film. Um, But yeah, the Don is dead. It is not a masterpiece, um, but it is fun. There's a great commentary on the disc. Uh, Yeah, I definitely recommend it, Um, but just go in with low expectations. (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> <laughs> rousing recommendation always i i, I mean I, I love a bit I, would you go so far as to say it's trash cinema or is it above that level it's 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 slightly above it, it is slightly above that it, it's basically
1: oh. a kind of post godfather attempt at that kind of film but it's very television and it's a lot of kind of as you can guess from my summary a lot of exploitation stars in it um but there is something genuinely good about it and Anthony Quinn's in it as well and it was after kind of a long break from American films and he's fantastic in it yeah like I say not perfect but there are interesting twists and some some sparks of good ideas in there and yeah you know I I, I would recommend you watch one of the Criterion classics on your list before you watch this film. But if you're in the mood for kind of uh, a a fun, um, slightly silly gangster movie, then The Don is Dead.
0: There you go. It's been like a month since we actually recorded the last one because we recorded the two best of 2020 episodes back to back that's right it's been four weeks so four weeks plus the entire period of time over christmas when we weren't working i've watched way more movies (laughs) than i normally am able to fit in so choosing just two uh to recommend is really tricky jen and i went back and watched a load of old agatha christie stuff because i realized there were loads of gaps uh, in my knowledge, we watched the, like the 1945, and then there were none, which I'd never seen. Uh, we watched The Mirror Cracked from 1980, which I'd never seen. Oh, great! So that's um, that's your two recommendations. They both But the sound one, really the first recommendation that I want to recommend, <laughs> that I want to recommend, um, is actually the 2017 adaptation of Crooked House, which I don't think I'd even heard of before. It it turned up in a list of uh, underappreciated Agatha Christie pictures that I was I was looking up. And the thing that astonished me is it's basically Knives Out with a different ending, except it's, you know, based on an Agatha Christie novel, which massively predates Knives Out. And also the film was made a couple of years before Knives Out. But it's a a really solid, uh, really interesting Christie movie. I think the story gets overlooked because it's not one of her standard, like, you know, it's not Poirot and it's not a Miss Marple. But it's a really nice who done it. The setup is very very similar to Knives Out, but it goes in a different direction, uh, and I think it's really solidly worth your time and not enough people saw it. Well, uh from the ridiculous
1: to uh the sublime in my own recommendations this fortnight, uh I got the Criterion release of Day for Night for Christmas, and what a disc it is. Um You probably already know that the movie is perfection from start to finish. Uh, It's basically about Truffaut's love of cinema, um, which he demonstrates in increasingly intelligent ways over the course of the narrative. Uh, And it features the director playing himself as he tries to shoot a fake film. And it's kind of a perfect portrayal of the temporary family feeling of a film set. Uh, as well as the the joy and the struggles of making movies with a kind of general love of cinema itself being communicated very clearly. Uh, so many beautiful moments. Uh, my favourite is probably the bit where Truffaut's composer calls him up to play him a piece of music for the fake film, but it's actually a song from a love scene from Truffaut's previous film. And he kind of... he. Uh, kind of leans the phone down so we hear the music too and it plays as Truffaut opens a package of books about his favorite directors so like Hitchcock, Dreher, Bergman and more so yeah it's glorious it shows us who really has Truffaut's heart Um, it's a lovely moment but yeah wonderful extras too the supporting analysis is genuinely illuminating I just think it's one of my favorite overall releases ever. And it's one I definitely talk about if I ever manage to break into the Criterion closet. So yeah, day for night, uh, a hearty recommendation.
0: Nice. My last one is a disc from Kino Loba that I'd had on my stack for a while. Uh, It's the 1974 Richard Lester picture Juggernaut, which I'd never seen. I do like a movie about an explosives expert. Uh, This is a cruise ship being held hostage by a man who has put... Uh, bombs all over it and so the film runs two narratives uh you've got the bomb specialists who are shipped in to try and deactivate the bombs to their own massive risk obviously while the police are trying to hunt down the person who may have placed the bombs there Uh, it's got an amazing cast it's richard harris david hemmings omar sharif anthony hopkins ian holm it starts out feeling a little tv movie but by the end it's fucking wages of fear it's absolutely great I mean it's not quite as good as Wages of Fear let's be completely honest but it's a very very good film um, I think it might be on uh, it might be available on Amazon Prime in the UK I'm not sure it's definitely available on Amazon in the States but like I said there's a really nice Blu-ray from Kino Loba in the States alright let's go into extra features
1: extra features extra features Extra features. Extra features. Extra features. Uh, have you got anything for extra features Dan?
0: i got nothing I have
1: a lovely email from a uh, very precious Arrowhead, which I am going to read out now. Hello, Sam and Dan. I want to tell you and the fine folks at Arrow how much I enjoy your podcast. I discovered you fellows about six months ago, thanks to the Evolution of Horror podcast, when I was heavily binging Mike's episodes. This will probably get wordy, as thanks to 2020, I don't talk to many people outside of my wife and a few co-workers, so I apologise ahead of time. I love the show so much, and I look forward to new episodes every two weeks. I'm currently catching up on all the old ones and only have about 10 left. I love how passionate you both are, I love the discussions and the arguments, and really want to thank you for putting this out there. Every two weeks I feel like I get to hang out with friends for an hour or so who share the same passion for film that I do. I've watched and bought so many movies because of you two in the last six months, so thank you for all the recommendations. I should mention that I'm a 30-plus year expat here in the US and I'm about the same age as you guys. So a lot of your stories growing up with film are very similar to mine, albeit with an American slant. And uh, he goes into uh, specifics to each of us now, Dan. Um, Sam, I absolutely love your passion about independent cinema and love your lively rants about it. Please don't stop. I have managed to see Frankenstein's Creature and thought it was excellent. However, getting a physical copy, especially here in the States, has proven near impossible. But I won't give up. I'll be watching a little more flesh as soon as I can find it over here but currently haven't found it on any service uh, over here. I can't wait to see it and please keep making more art. Dan, I have never thought too much about special effects artists in all my years watching movies, but you officially have a fan. I spent more time than I care to admit tracking down almost everything you've worked on over the last six months. I just want to say, possessor? Fuck me. (laughs) Finally got my uncut (laughs) copy last week and it was amazing, all caps. By far my favourite film of 2020 and your work is incredible in it. I can't wait to see what's next. I've probably taken up too much of your time so I'll wrap it up by saying that if Arrow gives you any guff, show them the two pictures I've attached and know that almost everything with an A on it is your fault. The top shelf is only a sampling of the Arrow titles I've acquired and there are many more hidden in the regular uh, collection. My only request is that you please cover Crash in an upcoming episode. My 4K will be here in a few days and can't wait to see how it looks. Keep up the great work. Uh, P.S. If either of you should find yourself in Colorado in the future, not sure why you would, but you never know. Drinks are on me. And that email is from Anthony Balsiger. Uh, Thank you very much for getting in touch, Anthony. Uh, I hope I got your name right. Uh, We really appreciate it i absolutely love that email um yeah i I love what anthony says about you um you know i think it's great that you're operating as a figurehead for your profession and really bringing attention and exposure to your industry and anthony uh a little more flesh is available on troma now and the first month is free so i hope you enjoy it but thank you so much for writing in and arrowheads please write to us we love it when we get your emails um
0: yeah absolutely the the apology for wasting our time is is unneeded it's always a delight very much so very much so right social media dan how can people find you on both twitter and instagram i am at 13 finger fx yeah i do what you might expect I think my uh, my Twitter is currently still uh, like all marked not so for work <laughs> because I had a, an interesting fracas with some anonymous individual who decided that what I did was disgusting. Um, but I might change that back in the near future. But so if you uh, if you do follow me and all of my tweets appear hidden from you, you just need to change your settings to allow uh, Twitter to show you the awful side, the dark underbelly of the internet. See that that does concern me. Do you remember we had this talk where
1: um I was worried about you showing certain elements of a little more flesh? I worried that will actually get you banned.
0: Maybe I'll leave it <laughs> as marked not safe for work yeah. until then, or or re if I can't wait until then, I will re it not safe for work for the duration of that bit. I don't think Instagram's ever going to let me post that effect. <laughs>
1: No i don't think so either, but um,
0: yeah <laughs> although actually instagram haven't been too have never been really fussy about me like they've never they've never cut anything. The two things that were cut from Twitter were both allowed to remain un unhindered on instagram
1: just don't get banned Dan. that's all i'm saying um yeah i don't want you banned from either of those things as for me social media wise i'm actually Kind of moving away from social media a little bit. I still do the occasional update, and I'll, you know, tweet about Arrow and all that kind of thing. and film stuff like if you tweet me i will reply and retweet you if it's a compliment um but yeah i yeah so i'm just going to ask you to buy my films instead of following me frankenstein's creature is still available as a digital download on the hex media website and a little more flesh can be streamed on troma now uh frankenstein's creature is basically arrow academy and a little more flash is essentially arrow video so uh go for the one that most suits your taste and, and please let me know what you think and if you've already watched a little more flesh thank you um it's apparently brought a ton of new subscribers over to troma now so people have subscribed and watched a little more flesh first um and that will definitely be a lot of you lovely arrowheads so thank you very much for the support um i do very much appreciate it uh dan any final words from you
0: no that's it we're going into 2021 maybe i'll have some work in the near future i can talk about but nothing at the moment uh i hope you're all staying safe out there um join us next time when we talk about a jellyfish excellent right
1: i'm gonna go into my catchphrase now um prepare yourself arrowheads what you've been waiting for is coming thank you so much for listening and we promise to be more professional next time yes bye-bye
0: bye